talking about the quest to find the missing mass, some good work goes on in Melbourne and some at UCLA, with a professor from Africa setting up her new lab as I watch in fascination. So my name is Alvin Kamaha. I'm an assistant professor of physics at UCLA, and I'm also the inaugural Dr. Keith and Cecilia Terazaki Endo Chair in Physical Science. That really is a wonderful title. What do you hope to find? I hope to find something that does not look like what I know. Now, what was the turning point that made you choose dark matter in the first place as you were doing your studies? Very good question. I basically did most of my undergraduate degree in Cameroon, in West Africa. And I moved to Italy in 2008 to do my master's degree. So over there, I fell in love with physics beyond the standard model. And I was studying something that was relatively easier to study than dark matter, neutrinos. Those neutrinos, we know that they exist, right? And we are trying to do some precision measurement on their masses. But while I was in Italy, I came to know that the universe as we know it, at least the matter content of the universe, is only 15%. There is 85% of the universe mass that we don't know what it is. And because we know for sure that it does not interact with light, it's non-luminous, we call it dark matter. So upon hearing it from my supervisor and then reading a few articles on dark matter, I became interested in the field and I moved to Canada to do my PhD on dark matter. And I have been actively looking for dark matter in different detectors and different collaborations since then. And we're setting up one of those detectors, you are anyway, uh, behind me here, but just to show the clues about how this massive amount of the universe is missing is because when you study the movement of large bodies in the universe, you can see them moving in ways that imply something else is pulling them. Something else is there being very powerful, but you can't tell what it is. Right, and that's how we came to know about dark matter, based on the gravitational effect, the pulling out you were talking about, that the dark matter has on other particles that we do see. What we discovered back in the 1900s is that the galaxies, for instance, were moving too fast. And if there was no dark matter around the edge of the galaxy to keep those stars from flying out, but the fact that those stars did not fly out, and it's a good thing for us, right, on planet Earth. The fact that the stars did not fly out shows that, indeed, there is a matter around the edge of the galaxy keeping them gravitationally bound. So that means that we know for sure dark matter is there. We have some evidences from astronomy based on this gravitational effect. But how do we find it if we cannot see it, right? It's one of the challenges in dark matter. So us as uh, scientists, then we have to hypothesize some interaction model from dark matter to be able to design detectors based on those hypotheses and then trying to detect it here on Earth. And so here we are, and the machine with the lights is working away there. And behind me here, as I look around, is a great area covered in plastic you can see through. What is going to be there when you start your work? Actually, my lab is in a very exciting phase right now. I just uh, spent almost one year and five months at UCLA, and then my lab is coming together. So the noise that you are hearing is a very good noise to hear. The noise is actually the electronic system for the detector, the prototype dark matter detector I'm going to build in my lab. 
So the electronic system is fully functional. We have commissioned it and it's working great. And over there, referring to the clean room, we've see through panels that you have seen is where we are going to assemble the dark matter prototype detector in my lab. And once it's assembled, we are going to commission it and we are going to do different research development projects meant to characterize some of the background. By background, I mean some of the signals that we come from older particle interaction in a typical dark matter detector than the dark matter signal. Because dark matter does not interact with anything much that we know of, it won't interact with this building and so it can pass through so the theory goes, and presumably you filter out all the other things that you know. You mentioned the neutrinos and whatever, and when you see something, presumably because it's there, you'll know that that is the dark matter you've been looking for. What do you think the world's reaction will be when you make the announcement? I think if we were to announce today that we have found dark matter, some people will be happy, of course, but there will be so much skepticism. So the next phase will be basically to redo the experiment and then try to constrain a little bit better about result. But once we have done that, to increase the confidence in the result that we have found, everybody will be happy, and most likely we will get a Nobel Prize. Ha. <laughs> I hope you do too. How many Nobel Prize winners won in Cameroon so far? Zero, which is very oh. sad, actually. <laughs> Well, because um, it, it, it's quite interesting that uh, argument there used to be about gravitational waves because they're so faint, there was scepticism when they were found, then there was confirmation that they were found, and indeed Kip Thorne and others got the Nobel Prize and he's just up the road from here, <laughs> and so I think lots of colleagues will be terribly, terribly excited. But this is not an isolated thing, a small thing. When you're dealing with such vast amounts of the universe, understanding that because dark matter exists, we exist as well, what do you think we can do next? What can we do next after we have found dark matter and then confirm that we have found it? I think that we will move to a precision science, the same way it is done at colliders. For instance, the Large Hadron Collider in Switzerland, where they collide a beam of proton and antiproton to be able to characterize better different things. For instance, the Higgs that they have discovered in the summer a few years ago, characterizing the mass of the Higgs, characterizing different properties. Once we find dark matter and we have confirmed it, we are going to move on to the characterization phase. We are going to try to build a bigger detector such that we can collect more dark matter event. And the more event we collect, then we have increased the statistic that will give us a solid ground to be able to probe the dark matter properties. And I think it's going to be very fun. So one thing I tend to think of in my imagination is that perhaps when we characterize dark matter, we can now use it and apply it to the technological advancement. So for instance, when you look at all the technological advancement we have in the world right now, with only 15, 1-5% of the matter content of the universe, I tend to think about what else can we do if we discover the 85% missing. I mean, I have so many crazy ideas, flying cars and so forth. Flying cars? <laughs> I know it's funny, but you know, just to think about... It is in Los Angeles after all. <laughs> <laughs> crazy things that we can do, right? That we might be able to do once we have found the 85% of the remaining mass of the universe. I hope to see you in Stockholm in October in the next few years. 
Me too. <laughs> <laughs> the irrepressible Associate Professor Alvin Kamahar at the University of California, Los Angeles. Let me read you a headline from New Scientist of the 29th of April, just days ago. It says, Evidence is growing for the axion as a basis for dark matter. And the work continues in Melbourne, the Centre for Excellence in a similar quest. And for more, do look up Tamara Davis's excellent Catalyst documentary on ABC television a couple of weeks ago. The Dark Side of the Universe, it was called. Highly recommended.